You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. An Iranian nuclear installation may have been hacked, or maybe not, but in any case, it was damaged. Huawei gets more skeptical looks. European police round up hundreds of online contraband dealers. Thomas Etheridge from CrowdStrike on the increased need for speed, scale, and remote investigation and recovery services. Our guest is Tobias Whitney from Fortress Information Security on the asset-to-vendor network. And an accused Nigerian money launderer is now in U.S. custody facing federal charges. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, July 6, 2020. An explosion and fire at Iran's Natanz Uranium Processing Center last Thursday is being widely attributed to a cyber attack by Iranian sources and others. Tehran said that investigators had determined the cause of the attack but were withholding details for security reasons. Reuters says that some unnamed Iranian officials said it was either a U.S. or Israeli attack, but while promising retaliation for any cyber attack against its nuclear facilities, Iran stopped short of publicly blaming either the U.S. or Israel. Breaking Defense cited Israeli cyber experts, who were quick to call the incident a kinetic cyber attack, but who also said it wasn't an Israeli operation. Over the weekend, senior members of the Israeli government, including Foreign Minister Ashkenazi and Defense Minister Gantz, issued soft denials or non-denial denials, the Jerusalem Post reports, apparently intended to preserve strategic ambiguity. Before the fire became public knowledge Thursday, the BBC's Persian service said a self-proclaimed Iranian dissident group, the Cheetahs of the Homeland, claimed responsibility for the sabotage. But as the AP points out, there's some implausibility in the Cheetahs' self-presentation. The name, for one thing, is an homage to a national soccer team, and the messaging elements are oddly mixed. Could they be an actual dissident group? Sure, there have been and continue to be Iranian dissidents. Could it be misdirection, a false flag? That's equally possible. So, while satellite imagery and Iranian statements confirm a destructive fire, beyond that it's unclear what happened. It's worth noting that breaking defenses sources understand cyber attack expansively, including possible remote disabling of security cameras to facilitate sabotage. And of course, talk of a cyber attack could itself be misdirection. 
Many of the observers talking to the press are calling this recent attack as coarse and inartistic when compared to Stuxnet. Accident or conventional sabotage are at least as and arguably more probable, as Forbes sensibly notes. Many of the original accounts of a cyber attack are being sourced to outlets in Kuwait. See, for example, the stories in Security Week and Computing, both of which cite Al Jaridi. The story is a developing one. We'll be following it closely. In the meantime, expect cyber tensions among Iran and its regional and global adversaries to remain high. Official attitudes toward the security risks posed by Chinese manufacturers continue to harden. Bloomberg reports that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson intends to direct that Huawei equipment be phased out of the UK's 5G build-out over the coming year. The decision is based on consequences drawn from increasingly comprehensive U.S. sanctions against the Chinese hardware vendor, sanctions that effectively impede Huawei from using U.S.-developed technology. As Bloomberg sources summarize input from the National Cybersecurity Center, the NCSC has, quote, concluded that new U.S. sanctions mean Huawei will have to use untrusted technology, making security risks impossible to control, end quote. In Australia, amid widespread concern over Chinese cyber espionage and influence operations, outlined by CPO magazine, Prime Minister Scott Morrison plans to significantly augment the Australian Signals Directorate, the Australian Financial Review reports. According to IT News, the Attorney General's Department is moving toward requiring tighter accountability for cybersecurity of government agencies. India has been concerned about both Chinese hardware and apps. One of the challenges the country faces is deciding how to balance the desirable, low-cost, and acceptable quality of Chinese products against the undesirable connections between Chinese companies and Chinese security and intelligence services. The Wall Street Journal also reports that TikTok, one of the companies India has banned in the wake of recent border clashes, has categorically denied that Chinese authorities had ever asked it for data on Indian users, and that even if the authorities had done so, TikTok would have refused to comply. Mercom India reports that the Ministry of Power, quote, has issued a notice mandating all power supply system equipment, components, and parts imported into the country must pass through a check for harmful embedded software, end quote. The policy is not explicitly directed against any country's products, and the inspections are justified on the grounds of the centrality of India's power grid to the national safety, security, and economy. And France's cybersecurity agency, ANSSI, advised French 5G telcos to avoid Huawei. The government doesn't plan to ban Huawei from 5G, but Reuters reports that the French cybersecurity agency is advising the nation's telecommunications companies to steer clear of Huawei, especially if they haven't committed to using the Chinese manufacturer's equipment. ANSSI director Guillaume Poupard told Lazico that there would be no ban but that the government does want to limit the role the company would play in 5G infrastructure. In May of 2019, President Trump signed an executive order on securing the information and communications technology and services supply chain. NERC has published guidelines for compliance, which include a deadline of October 1st of this year. Tobias Whitney is vice president of Energy Security Solutions at Fortress Information Security, who've launched an asset-to-vendor network website to help power utilities track their progress 
as the deadline approaches. From my vantage point, the supply chain challenge has been um, becoming um, increasingly more difficult to mitigate and, and frankly, more, more recognizable throughout industry as, as it being a real challenge. For the last 10 to 12 years or so, industry has been focusing on developing and, and complying with a set of cybersecurity standards that are applicable to electric power utilities, so large uh, transmission owner-operators, generation owner-operators, those that, uh, that manage the grid, ultimately um, are, are considered responsible for uh, complying to these set of rules, ultimately endorsed um, and approved by, by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. While they have been focusing on cybersecurity, which includes patch management and trying to mitigate known vulnerabilities associated with systems on the grid, it was clear that they couldn't do it themselves, that they, they needed to engage more of the vendor community and the supplier community to really round out um, the, the cybersecurity um, effort. Um, so in the last couple of years, I think about two and a half years ago, FERC um, sent out a mandate, ultimately a request for a, a new addition to the cybersecurity standards, and that was the supply chain standard, SIP 13, and also uh, SIP 13 also required uh, some tweaks made to the existing cybersecurity standards, SIP 2 through 11. So those, those standards are SIP 7 and SIP, excuse me, SIP 10 and SIP 5. Can you give us some some insights? Um, the folks who are on the ground, who are dealing with this stuff every day, who are responsible for the security of the electrical grid, what is their sense right now? Where, where do you where do you suppose they they feel as though we stand when it comes to the grid security? I would say people that that work at utilities and have boots on the ground, and you know, it's an industry I've been working very closely with for years, always have had a, uh, a feeling of being prepared, of recognizing that whatever the emergency is, whatever the circumstance may, may be, um, they've been trained and ultimately ready to respond to a, a grid-related incident or event or cyber exposure, what have you. Um, you know, utilities are very good at, um, you know, identifying where there's an outage, responding to the outage, getting systems and operations recovered so that um, utility and electrical services electrical services can be back up and running within a minimal amount of disruption. And that's frankly been the culture uh, of this industry for, for, for quite some time. So uh, many believe that, yes, you know, even if we do have a cybersecurity incident or a threat, um, that through our, our training and, and activities and around preparing for cyber um, and, and other types of outages and events, they feel relatively prepared that they, they, this is something that can be managed. That's Tobias Whitney from Fortress Information Security. There have been two major arrests involving cybercrime. First, the AP reports that police in several European countries notably Britain, France, and the Netherlands, cooperated in rolling up 746 suspects involved in trading contraband online. Together, they seized about $68 million in cash, 77 firearms, and more than two tons of drugs. Most of the suspects were collared in the UK, but it was an international effort. Most interesting is the success the police had monitoring criminal communications over the encrypted EncroChat application, Motherboard reports that French authorities had penetrated the EncroChat network, leveraged that access to install a technical tool in what appears to be a mass hacking operation, 
and had been quietly reading the user's communications for months. Investigators then shared those messages with agencies around Europe. And second, a major Nigerian Instagram influencer, Ramon Alarunwa Abbas, better known online by his hacker name Ray Hushpuppy, was arrested in Dubai and then extradited to the U.S., where he's now facing charges related to alleged conspiracy to, as the U.S. attorney for the Central District of California put it, launder hundreds of millions of dollars from business email compromise frauds and other scams. Mr. Hushpuppy's alleged victims include an American law firm, a foreign bank, and an English Premier League football club. That's football as in soccer, Yankee. Anywho, Mr. Hushpuppy's self-presentation in social media has been glorious, if that is. You remain untroubled by the deadly sin of avarice and the attendant deadly sin of envy displays of avarice provoke in those less favored by the prince of this world. Our favorite is a photo CNN has of the influencer, thoughtfully reading Forbes Asia while comfortably ensconced in a blanket and pillows aboard a private aircraft, a bottle of Fiji water in hand just to stay hydrated. The only false note is the Fiji water, which our editor says the dollar store across the street from him in Baltimore carries at a discount. Maybe... Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Consider San Pellegrino, if that's available in the club-fed commissary. And joining me once again is Thomas Etheridge. He's the Senior Vice President of Services at CrowdStrike. Thomas, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to touch today on some of the things that you and your team are tracking in the wake of COVID-19. Can you share with us what are some of the things that are top of mind for you? Thanks, David. It's great to be back. Some of the big things we're tracking really are around the just the spike we're seeing in 
malicious activity in the first half of uh, 2020 versus what we saw about a year ago. So with companies moving workforces outside the office, the attack surface has just expanded exponentially. A lot of organizations are slow to be able to get tooling out to new infrastructure that they've provisioned to uh, users that are now working remotely. And the ability to be able to respond to breaches is becoming a challenge for organizations, especially as the workforce becomes more uh, dispersed. Are you noticing anything in terms of the, the size of organizations? In other words, is it has it been more challenging for a large organization to adjust here versus a small one, or is every case unique? I think every case is unique. Some organizations had the inventory of equipment and are able to leverage existing tools uh, to provision and provide that capability for remote connectivity to an organization's uh, you know, infrastructure a lot more gracefully than maybe smaller organizations. We've certainly seen that in some of the state and local uh, government organizations where moving uh, employees off-site has created some challenges in terms of some of the legacy tools and, and infrastructure. They're just not prepared for it. Yeah, it's interesting. I can imagine if you're an organization where someone came in and sat down every day to a desktop computer, you might be in a different situation than somebody where everybody was provisioned with laptops so they could just pick up and, and go home and you know, not really skip a beat. Exactly. And the other factor here is cloud. Uh, so a lot of organizations are pushing workloads to the cloud. It does provide that scalability and ease of connectivity, kind of the work from anywhere model. And workload security is creates additional sets of challenges. So understanding the visibility and management of all of those workloads in the cloud, it's become a challenge for organizations that haven't thought about that over time. And what we're seeing is that security uh, is a necessary requirement in order to make sure that those organizations uh, are able to continue to operate successfully, service their their constituents and customers, and it's really uh, become a big challenge for many organizations. You know, we're a couple of months into this now. Do you have any tips for organizations out there based on what you've seen and the companies who have gotten it right? Any suggestions for uh, making sure that you're up to speed in the, the, the state where we are today? There's a couple of key things, I think. Number one is looking at uh, endpoint protection capabilities that are cloud native. So tools that don't require physical infrastructure are easily deployable, uh, both from a, a management and a protection perspective. That's kind of a key to the, to the problem. The other thing is patching. We've noticed uh, a lot of organizations have not invested in overall patching and keeping uh, vulnerabilities uh, snuffed out in their environment, especially as organizations start to move to remote workforce, patching becomes a little bit more of a challenge. You have to wait for systems to be on the network uh, in order for them to get patch updates and and have those applied. And additionally, the, the use of personal devices as well presents another problem for organizations as they are allowing some of these personal devices to connect to the network knowing and being able to manage the patch status of those uh, environments is, is also a challenge. All right. Well, Thomas Etheridge, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.